The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. As a result, you get decreased uptake of iron from the small intestine, and you also get decreased release of iron from macrophages. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article from the April Annals of Internal Medicine, titled Effects of Interleukon-1 Beta Inhibition on Incident Anemia, Exploratory Analyses from a Randomized Trial. Our guest tonight is Monica Valurapali, who is the first author of the paper. Monica is a hematology-oncology fellow at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Partners Cancer Center, and a chief medical resident at Brigham and Women's Hospital. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Monica, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this very fascinating article. I remember back in the 70s when I was a student and house officer, the anemia of chronic disease was a big mystery. I knew who got it. I knew that I didn't know how to treat it, but I didn't have any idea about the pathophysiology. And then it got changed to anemia of chronic inflammation. And now sometimes I hear iron-restricted hematopoiesis. I was really attracted to this study because it starts to give me even more understanding of what's going on and why these patients are anemic. Before we get into the pathophysiology, let's just start out with the study that you used for this analysis, the Canto study. And could you give me a brief overview of that study? Oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on uh, your podcast, Bob. Um, So the CANTOS trial was a very large multinational randomized control trial of patients who had a prior MI and also had evidence of underlying inflammation. And in the study, they were specifically looking at elevated high sensitivity CRP. And the trial was initially designed to test the hypothesis that reducing inflammation could Um, in part, reduced the risk of cardiovascular disease. And this was a hypothesis that had been percolating for many years that inflammation plays an important role in the development of atherosclerosis, and it had been supported by some prior clinical um, and experimental data. And there was some correlative data showing that downstream markers of inflammation like CRP and interleukin-6 are associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease events independent of lipid levels or cholesterol levels. And so this trial ended up enrolling about 10,000 patients who had a history of a prior MI and had elevated high sensitivity CRPs that were greater than two. And patients were randomized to either get placebo or one of three different doses of the monoclonal antibody known as canakinumab. And so canakinumab is a antibody that inhibits interleukin-1-beta, which is a um, inflammatory cytokine that is often elevated um, in the setting of 
infection, but also in certain chronic inflammatory conditions. And the study demonstrated that um, canakinumab treatment resulted in decreased markers of inflammation, including IL-6 and CRP, and there was a decrease in the rate of cardiovascular events in um, patients who were treated with 150 milligrams of canakinumab. But there have been numerous secondary analyses that have demonstrated other beneficial effects associated with canakinumab treatment, and that led to some of our interest in our, the study that we performed. Let's um, get the background for this study. I've been trying to learn about the three different labels that I mentioned. Could you talk about what we knew before this study about the role of inflammation and the relationship of inflammation to anemia? Yes, definitely. I think it's a very interesting question and one that I'm sure we only have a glimpse of a full understanding of. And we talked about how there's three different labels that often get thrown around to describe this process linking anemia and inflammation. One of them is anemia of chronic disease, another is anemia of chronic inflammation, and then the third is iron-restricted hematopoiesis. And these labels sort of are encompassing in all the same process. Anemia of chronic disease and anemia of chronic inflammation refer to the same process by which there's underlying inflammation that results in an immune-mediated alteration in how the body handles iron. And this might have evolved because in the setting of infection, there's certain bacteria and certain microbes that can thrive when there's increased access to iron. So it may have evolved as a way of um, helping to fight um, systemic infections, but it's a process that also arises in the setting of systemic inflammation. And so you have the induction of certain cytokines, and you also have the induction of an important molecule called hepcidin, which is really central to the pathophysiology of all of this. So hepcidin is a small peptide that's produced by the liver, and it's often produced in response to inflammatory signaling, including um, interleukin-6 and IL-1-beta and TNF-alpha. And its production um, can also be stimulated in scenarios of iron overload. So when you have increased expression of hepcidin by the liver, what that does is it binds to a plasma membrane protein called ferroportin. And ferroportin is very important in allowing iron to travel in and out of the cells. And ferroportin is expressed in the small intestine, it's expressed on macrophages, and it's also expressed in the placenta. So when hepcidin is expressed, you get decreased expression of ferroportin, and as a result, you get decreased uptake of iron from the small intestine, and you also get decreased release of iron from macrophages. So these are both two places where you are able to mobilize and generate iron stores. And so when hepcidin is on, when hepcidin is elevated, you create this scenario where it's hard to mobilize uh, your sources of iron, either from your gut or from macrophages. And so you have a process where inflammation leads to a state of iron restriction. And simultaneously, inflammation through cytokine signaling also leads to other processes that contribute to anemia through decreased proliferation of erythroid progenitors, decreased red blood cell turnover, and impairing or blunting the effect of erythropoietin. That is such a great explanation. I thought that I was 
making progress and you've really helped me make better progress in understanding the problem of hepcidin uh, and why it probably is helpful in certain situations. We have all this as a background. And now we have a data set where patients either got canakinumab or didn't, and we know that they're already have an inflammatory process. That stimulated you to do uh, an analysis of this really nice database. Why don't you talk a little bit about the two different types of analyses you did uh, on incident anemia and people who already had anemia? There's a lot of excitement to be able to use this database to try and answer this question. Even though this study had not been initially set up to look at anemia as an endpoint, and it wasn't set up in such a way that we could interrogate the specific causes of anemia in each of these patients, we did have a lot of data, a density of data, specifically looking at when people became anemic and were able to really course that out over the course of the study. And what we noted is that there was a subset of patients who were anemic at baseline in the beginning of the study. So out of the about 10,000 participants, 1,300 participants had anemia at baseline. And these individuals, compared to the individuals who didn't have anemia at baseline, tended to be older. They were more likely to be female, and they had a higher burden of comorbid illness, whether it was diabetes or um, uh, chronic renal disease. And what we decided to do in this population of patients is to see what happened to their mean hemoglobin levels over the course of the study in participants who were treated with either placebo or canakinumab. And in that analysis, we determined that participants who were allocated to canakinumab had significantly greater improvements in their mean hemoglobin over the course of the study as compared to the participants who were allocated to placebo. So there was an improvement in their anemia markers over the course of the study if they were allocated to canakinumab. And then secondly, we also decided to look at the prevalence of anemia in these participants on canakinumab um, or placebo if they had baseline anemia. And at 12 months, the participants on canakinumab had a greater decrease in their prevalence of anemia as compared to the participants who were on placebo. But we wanted to go beyond this and also look at the larger cohort in the study who did not have anemia at baseline when they started out the trial and try and determine what the rates of incident anemia were if they were on placebo versus they were on canakinumab. And there's a few interesting things that we noted. One is that the baseline high-sensitivity CRP was correlated with whether or not they developed incident anemia over the course of the study. So if they had higher levels of uh, higher markers of inflammation at the outset of the study, they were more likely to develop incident anemia. And then secondly, canakinumab treatment was associated with a decrease in incident anemia at all the doses that were studied um, compared to placebo. And there was no significant effect modification that we could see based on gender or age, whether they had hypertension, whether they had diabetes, whether they had heart failure, um, or based on their baseline CRP. What mattered the most in terms of a reduction in incident anemia was whether or not patients had a robust response to canakinumab. So canakinumab is a monoclonal antibody that's given once every three months. And 
Um, patients often have a very quick response to canakinumab if they do respond. And so we defined a robust response as participants at the three-month point uh, having a high-sensitive DCRP less than two after they got canakinumab. And those participants had the greatest reduction in incident anemia over the course of the study. Wow. If I remember right, there was that certain subgroups had more anemia uh, than, than other subgroups. And unless I read the article wrong, uh, people with type 2 diabetes were more likely to get it. But I guess, is, is that the people who already had anemia or was that also incident anemia and also older patients and obviously people who didn't respond and, and had very uh, elevated high sensitivity CRPs. Did I get that right? Yes, so the um, participants who had anemia at baseline, they were more likely to be older. They were more likely to have a higher burden of comorbid illness, um, including having diabetes and um, chronic kidney disease. There, there was a trend towards greater improvement in patients who were of older age in terms of decrease in incident anemia, but it wasn't significant effect modification. And it was probably that underlying inflammation was the key factor in whether or not somebody went on to develop incident anemia. Right. And because this is a retrospective study, we don't. there are other causes of anemia other than inflammation. And we didn't have a careful analysis of each patient's anemia, so we can only look at trends. One of the things that I loved about the discussion in your paper is that you pointed out that this is hypothesis generating. I'm really interested, uh, and I know you spent a lot of time thinking about this, is what does this add to the story that is developing in understanding uh, this type of anemia? I think it's very exciting because um, this is the first large-scale study of its kind in patients to suggest a role for targeting the interleukin-1-beta pathway in patients who have anemia of chronic inflammation. And it suggests a opportunity to develop new uh, clinical trials using various targets uh, that are involved in this pathway. So this Signaling pathway is very interesting. It is a component of the innate immune signaling system, and the innate immune signaling system responds to uh, infections and also other uh, danger-associated signals that result in the stimulation of this pathway. And the interleukin-1-beta pathway is actually downstream of this multi-subunit composed protein called the inflammasome. Um, that is often activated downstream of either microbial signals like lipopolysaccharide or other danger-associated molecular patterns like um, cholesterol or urate crystals, and it leads to um, the production of a protein called caspase-1 that subsequently turns the precursor pro version of interleukin-1-beta to its active version, and interleukin-1-beta um, can lead to the stimulation of IL-6. So, it highlights a role for potentially targeting different components of this pathway as a way of treating anemia and chronic inflammation um, and generating clinical trials to be able to test the specific hypothesis that we can target anemia of chronic inflammation through the inflammasome IL-1-beta, IL-6 pathway. And in addition to inhibitors of IL-1-beta, there's also inhibitors of IL-6, um, mo both monoclonal antibodies and other types of inhibitors that could be utilized and tested. Well, wow, that's really interesting. Just so 
that I understand better and our listeners understand better, how serious is the problem of anemia through this pathway? So we see a lot of people in the hospital all the time who come in with hemoglobins of 11 and 12, and we check studies and they don't have any nutritional deficiencies, they're not hemolyzing, they're not losing blood. How much should we worry about people who have hemoglobins in that range? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because you wonder sort of, is the mild anemia actually contributing to anything in terms of how they're feeling? And there have been studies looking at older patients who have anemia, sometimes it's termed the anemia of aging, but it's likely sort of, again, this phenomenon of um, inflammation becoming worse as people get older and inflammation contributing to anemia. And in those patients, um, it it has been demonstrated that there's improvement in quality of life and improvement in overall um, symptom burden if their anemia is improved. Similarly, in patients who have heart failure, um, we also find benefit in uh, improving their anemia parameters. So, and in patients who have chronic renal disease. So these types of approaches to targeting inflammation could be really beneficial in patients who have multiple comorbid diseases where uh, it can be challenging to address their anemia otherwise. While we're waiting for these studies to come out, I've heard that you can overwhelm hepcidin by giving IV iron even to somebody with this type of anemia and get a response. Is that something that the hematologists consider uh, a strategy worth considering? I think it's certainly something to consider on a case-by-case basis, depending on whether there's also evidence of iron deficiency or bleeding and the risks and the benefits of giving IV iron. I think in, in heart failure patients who have mild anemia, there's some data that IV iron actually helps their outcomes, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, that is the case. So this has been great. I assume that this is going to lead to a number of different studies trying to look at different parts of the pathway uh, and see if we can understand even better what is the real trigger to this very common problem that as a hospitalist I see all the time because I guess I'm seeing patients who are older and have more comorbidities and have more uh, underlying inflammation. Yes, definitely. I think it's an insidious problem. And um, after iron deficiency anemia, I think it's probably one of the most common causes of anemia that we encounter. And uh, there's been a lot of preclinical work looking at the mechanistic basis of anemia of chronic inflammation. And it's nice to at least have some initial clinical data that uh, helps to validate those hypotheses. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I I know that all the listeners will have a much better understanding of this uh, common problem. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. Anemia of chronic disease, anemia of chronic inflammation, or iron-restricted hematopoiesis. This very common cause of anemia is likely caused by chronic inflammation. This was described very well in the introduction to this study. The big problem is increased hepcidin levels, which decrease both absorption of iron and movement of iron into the bone marrow. And that seems to be stimulated by an inflammatory process. This study generates a new pathway for study. We know that we can interrupt that inflammatory pathway 
and now further research will look at the individual parts of the inflammatory pathway to see whether or not there are ways to better treat this very common type of anemia. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.